Welcome. How's everybody doing? Fantastic. So we are in this series called the Book of Galatians, and this is what we're learning: to to be set free and to live free. And uh, and we're digging into this book. This is this is a book written uh, by Paul. It was a letter that Paul the apostle wrote to the churches throughout the Galatia region, which is now I think is modern day Turkey area. Okay, so so he went on these. Uh, uh, on these missionary journeys, and one of the first ones, he went to this region, and he started sharing the gospel. He started preaching about Jesus and, uh, and what Jesus has done for us to have a relationship with God. And, and this, these new churches started to have this passion, and they believed in faith that this is who Jesus was. And this church started to grow. Well, later on, Paul heard that these, these Jews, who we call Judaizers, um, were coming back to these Christians who received the gospel— and I was telling them, yeah, the gospel, but now you have to do this and this and this. And they started adding these rules to what they received in the gospel. And Paul was ticked. And that's where we're at in Galatians, all right? And Paul, the first four chapters, he's been like trying to get their attention to, to wake up. Because they're now trying to live under this thing called the law, which was a bunch of rules and regulations. And, and, uh, and never could the law actually make them right with God or keep them right with God. All it did was show what was wrong. And then they received the gospel. Jesus is who makes us right with God. So why, if Jesus made you right, would you have to create rules to stay right? And that's why Paul was ticked off. He's like, come on, come back to the gospel, okay? So th that's where we're at in this series. And, and if you want to open your Bibles, we're going to be in Galatians chapter 4. It's kind of near the end of your Bible. If you've got your Bible open, we'll get there in just a minute. Um, but I want to encourage you, those of you who are new to New Hope, um, we decided that this year was going to be what we call the year in the Word. And so we're going to be teaching throughout this year different books of the Bible so that we're teaching you how to read the Bible, how to study it yourself so you're not intimidated by it. And we're going to teach through it, which means we're going to learn. We're going to grow and get challenged on how to grow and what it looks like to grow. And one of the things we created is this. It's our sermon series guide. If you have not grabbed one of these and maybe you're just joining now in the story with us, you can grab one on the table on your way out in the middle of the two doors. So you can go to mynewhope.tv forward slash Galatians and we have it online, an online version. But this is just a tool. It's to help you spend time every day getting into your own Bible and spending times in prayer. And on the back, we put a reading plan together for you to read through the book of Galatians. Each week, you get to read a different section or a different chapter as we prepare for the week that um, we hear the message. And then on the bottom, we have our memory verse card, and that just tears off. I'm not going to tear it off now. And you can put that, hang it in your bathroom, put it in your car, wherever you need to do that, because we also want you to hide God's Word in your heart, in your mind. Because we know through Scripture that God's Word is the sword. It's the only thing we have to fight against the enemy's lies and attacks in our life. And so when we walk in that power and we know God's Word, then we can attack the lies that come to us all the time because we've hidden it in our hearts and our minds. And so we want you to be part of that journey, too, of memorizing Scripture. And, um, and this week we got a, an encouraging text message um, from one of our families, the Vale family, their, grand, or their grandson and, and, and uh, Becca's son. He's three years old. And they've been memorizing these verses together, and he's just kind of been watching until, like, he learns it. So it, watch this. Watch, watch R.C. as he uh, memorizes that. Yeah! Woo! 
Now here's the thing. If a three-year-old can do it, you can too, all right? I want to encourage you, like us adults, like we, sometimes we think, well, it's hard to do. I would encourage you to do that, to hide it in your heart and to memorize it. Now, we've had one passage, uh, Galatians 5, 22 and 23. We're talking about the fruit of the Spirit that we've gone through, and we've had you memorize that. If you haven't done that, continue to memorize it, right? Uh, but, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. If you haven't won that one memorized, way to go. If you don't, keep memorizing it. Next week, we start Galatians 5. And this is where we start learning how to live into freedom, okay? It's next week. But we're going to change now halfway through to the other memory verse, which is the one he quoted. It's Galatians 5.1, and I'm not going to make you say it by memory. We're going to read it together, because Galatians 5.1 is the summary of the whole book of Galatians, really. It, this, this one verse sums up what Paul's trying to get uh, our attention on, okay? So let's read this out loud together. Here we go. It was for freedom that Christ set us free. Therefore, keep standing firm and do not be subject again to a yoke of slavery. He's like, you've been set free. Why would you go back to slavery? The gospel of Jesus Christ, what he has done for you, set you free from the law of sin and death from your own sin and forgiveness, boom, you were made right with God. Why would you go back into being a slave to something you can never perfect? You can't be perfect, right? You will never be perfect to get to God. See, we're talking about this tension because all of us, one way or another, we have a thought or a belief in our mind, whether it's because we grew up in a certain church or a certain thing, or whether it's just because we're human, we have this belief of how, how we get to God and how we stay with God. And when we're looking at what, what Paul is pushing against, he's pushing against people who are coming in after he already shared the gospel, how to get to God. It's through Jesus Christ. And then they were adding on a way to stay with God, which is now you have to obey all the laws. Okay, men, you have to get circumcised to belong to the Jewish community. It's like, whoa, I got to do, huh? Like, seriously? And, and now you got to follow the Mosaic law because that's what we did in the temple worship. And so if you want to belong, now you got to do this. And he's like, why, are, why would you go back to slavery? Why would you go back to those things that can never save you when you've already been set free? That's Galatians 5.1. That's the whole theme of this whole thing. But reality is all of us have a tendency to do just that, to go back to the things that actually enslave us to sin, to the law, to rules, and we stop losing the understanding of grace, what God has given us. I'm going to fly through some things this morning as we jump into this, okay? If you were here last week, I talked about this. There you go. So I'm going to hop right into this, um, right into the main point, because I, I, I do want to spend the most time in, in, um, in what I believe God has prepared for us to hear and to be challenged by and to wrestle with. Last week, I talked about the end of chapter 3 when Abraham was given the promise. The law didn't replace the promise. So the Jews were given these laws, the Ten Commandments, and then they added to that. And there were like hundreds of laws by the time Jesus showed up on the scene. And, and a majority of those were given by man. It was by the religious leaders to like, okay, you can't do this, you can't do that, you can't do this on the Sabbath, you can't, you know, all these different rules and laws. And the reality is nobody, nobody could keep every single law. The law was just there temporarily through the Old Covenant and the Old Testament until the fulfillment of the original promise which the promise to Abraham was all people will be saved through you, through your lineage, through the line of David. And that came Jesus, because then the fullness, or the, uh, Christ fulfills the promise, 
and the cost of the law. Because the cost of the law is death. Like, we, none of us can keep the law. We break parts of the law. None of us is perfect, right? If you think you're perfect, uh-oh. Like, bad, I got some news for you. You're not. You're not perfect, okay? You're probably self-righteous is what it is. And self-righteous is actually not perfect. So you get into the cycle of trying to be perfect, but you're not perfect. That's what the law does. It reveals the things that aren't perfect. And, uh, and so that's all I can do is reveal the one that fulfilled it was Christ. He fulfilled that promise, brought salvation to everyone, not just the Jews, but Gentiles, all of us. And he also paid for the cost of that sin and breaking law. He paid for my sin and your sin. Should be my blood on the cross. Should be my death. If it wasn't. He was my substitution on the cross. He died for me and paid for my debt of sin. Then what? That's not where it ended. Because after he did that, he conquered death. He was raised to life that we can live in his life and then he deposits his righteousness into our account for us. So he pays for our sin and then he makes us right before God. And so God sees us as if we have not sinned. Wow, that's the gospel. And so Paul preaches that. I'm preaching that to you every single week I'm preaching that. Y'all hear it? Like Christ did that for us, and so he fulfilled it, and that promise is now in play, and now we're in this new covenant, and that new covenant is through the blood of Christ, right? Now, here's, here's, a, here's, a, here's a problem, though, okay? And, and let me get to this. Let me use an illustration, because last week I talked about uh, a little bit about detox, like spiritual detox. Some of us have been raised in certain ways, or we have certain beliefs that, that aren't in alignment with the gospel, right? They're not in alignment with, with what God wants uh, for us in our life. And it, it's kind of like this. It's, it's kind of a, like a pilot. Um, I travel quite a bit. I fly a lot of, throughout the year, and, and, and uh, it kind of just gets routine when you travel and you fly a lot, because you know the whole spiel. You get on the plane, like, and the mask comes down, and you have, they have this whole spiel, and then the pilot comes, hey, thanks for flying with us. So we're going to be traveling at 20,000 feet, and blah, 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 and we're going to land at temperature. And, and I'm like, I don't care. Just get us there, right? Just get us there, and I'm good. Now, imagine if a pilot, and he was flying a commercial airline, and whenever you buy a ticket, you're buying to go from one place to another, and the goal of that flight is to get to the destination safely, correct? Correct? Okay. You guys are 11 o'clockers. Stay with me. All right, let's, let's, we'll, we can interact a little bit. So, so that's the goal is to get there safely and on time. Um, now imagine if you're like in the flight and you're, you've been in the air for an hour or so and, and, um, and you're just doing your thing. You're listening to music. You're reading a book, doing whatever. All of a sudden the pilot comes on and says, hey, just to let you know, um, all of the gauges in the uh, cockpit just stopped working a while ago. And, uh, and so I'm, I'm pretty sure I know where we're going. And, uh, and so we'll, I, I think we're going to get there. Uh, but the good news is, we're making great time. How would you feel being in that plane? Uh-uh, 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 call somebody. Breaker, breaker. Like, what do we got here? Like, we need somebody to fix our gauges. See, but the problem is for us, some of us are just like that pilot spiritually. We aren't looking at any spiritual gauges. We just have an idea. I think I'm heading in the right direction. Oh, and I feel like I'm making really good time. But you're actually not heading in the right direction you're heading backwards or you're, you're three degrees off and you're missing what God wants in your life. I don't want you to be like that pilot, making good time to the wrong place. We want to be in alignment in the right destination of the gospel spiritually. And that means some of us, probably all of us one way or another, 
need to have some spiritual detox moments. Those things that have, toxif- have put toxins into the gospel, that have added to the gospel that we think we have to do in order to be okay with God or that we have to do to get to God and then we have to keep doing it in order to stay with God. If I don't keep doing that, then I lose God and he's not with me and then, and then we live in this tension of fear. That's not how the gospel works. So my question for you is what in your life do you need to spiritually detox from? What traditions? Maybe you grew up in church. Um, I grew up in church. I've been a part of a lot of different churches and um, in different denominations even that have different beliefs and understandings and doctrines about different things. And, and, uh, and some of them are just whack. I mean, just, they're not even in the Bible, but it's tradition. And so we've done it this way forever. This is how we do it. This is so-and-so because Bill 30 years ago did it. You know, it's kind of like, is that the gospel? Or is it Bill? Like, why are we doing this? And for you, are there things in your past, are there ways that you believe, whether you grew up in church or not, or that don't actually align up with God's grace in the gospel? Are you trying to earn some things from God? Do you feel like you have to deserve his love, so you're just going to keep earning it and earning it and earning it? Do you feel like, how could he love me after all the things I've done? No way could I receive and accept that. And so you still try to work to please him. Um, What are those things in your life? Because those things in your life, what they create, and I talked about this last week, it creates self-sufficiency spiritually. means I am sufficient enough to get to God and I am sufficient enough to stay with God. And the reality is you're not, I'm not. I cannot stay with God or get with God with my own self-sufficiency. I will fall flat every single time. Yet we try we try. Some of us try over and over and over again, and all that does is create a facade of Christianity with an internal frustration. If this is who God is, I don't even want to deal with it. I don't want to be with him. And the reality is, that's not who God is. You're trying to please him in a way that he never asked you to. You're trying to earn something that he's already paid for. He already gave you the gift, and there's no invoice in the box. Salvation forgiveness, righteousness. So the question, what do you need to remove from your life? What false belief or false tradition? Because here's, here's what I know about us as humans. We actually feel more comfortable with rules than relationships. When you think about a rule, a rule is easy, right? Here's a rule. It's black and white. Do it or don't do it. That's the rule. That's an easy thing to describe, right? And that's what so many Christians have tried to do. Here's Christianity. Now here's the rules. Stay to the rules. Black and white. And that's it. If you step out of the rules, well, you're out, you're out of relationship with God. Get back to him. Ask for forgiveness so you can get back in relationship with God. And you break the rule again. Well, nope, back to the rules. And it becomes this system of rules. And the reality is it's actually easier that way because you just know that's just how it works. Relationships are harder than that, right? Because in relationships, now you have two parties together and they're just trying to figure out how to know each other and they're figuring out how each other works and they're trying to figure out how to relate with each other. And the reality is for us, God didn't save us for rules. He saved us for a relationship. This is my point number one. You can fill this out. The question is, do I prefer rules and religion rather than a relationship? I mean, really, like wrestle with that in your own thought process. 
Do I actually prefer rules and religion rather than a relationship? And there are times I would say, and I would confess it, rules and religion actually is easier. Just tell me when to come to church, what I'm supposed to do, what am I supposed to give, how am I supposed to serve, um, what am I supposed to do good, and okay, cool, I'm in the box, so I'm safe. And the reality is, there is no box. (laughs) A relationship. God wants a relationship with you. We're going to read that in uh, chapter 4 here. This powerful, powerful imagery that Paul uses that talks about a relationship. See, they wrestled with this back in these days too. Back in, in, uh, in Rome, in Roman culture, they they wrestled with this whole idea of relationship rather than rules and religion. And, it's, and it was in the church, too. They struggled with that, obviously, because the Jews still operated under rules and religion. And even when they accepted Christ, they still struggled because they wanted to go back to their tradition, even though they didn't have to. They could live in freedom from those things. They didn't... Yeah, anyways, I'll, I'll stop there with that. But the, the biggest religion of, the, of that day was paganism. Paganism was this kind of broad thing. It's kind of the idea, it's kind of the idea of karma. Anybody heard of karma? Like karma is basically you deserve what you get, right? And you get what you deserve, and that's just how it works. If you're doing a lot of good, you should receive good. If you're doing bad, you should get bad, and that's how it works. That's how karma works. You get what you deserve. And with that, they actually didn't worship like one big god. They worshiped all these lowercase g gods. And there would be like a god of fertility, there would be a god of the harvest, and a god of, like all these little gods that they would have to figure out how to worship and how to appease that God so they can experience the blessing attached to whatever that God was holding on to. And it was really based upon fear. So like the God of the harvest, they'd have to be like, oh, I want a good harvest this year, so I need to go sacrifice something and and put it at the altar of that God and appease that God so that they might choose to give us a good harvest this year. It was all about fear. Do you hear that? It was rules. It was religion based on fear. I don't know how many people still do that with God himself. I've got to appease God. I've got to make it. God, if you just fix this thing, I, I promise I'll give you my life and I'll serve you always. And then it gets fixed. You're like, just kidding. And then you go on with your life, right? It's, we make bargains with God, just like the pagans would make bargains with their low case, case G gods. And God's like, that's not what I want. I don't want to bargain with you. I want to know you. I want you to know me. I want a relationship. And so whenever he saw this, um, this tension here in the book of Galatians, that these Christians were going back to these rules and laws and structures, and he, he saw it just in that same light. They're moving to karma, and they're moving to paganism. They're moving away from the simplicity of the gospel. And they're trying to earn and prove something to be with God. And when you do that, when you live in rules and religion, you have now become a slave to those rules because you have to serve those rules and keep them, right? Because if you don't keep them, you're now a rule breaker and you're outside of that relationship or that religion. So you are now a slave to keep those rules the rest of your life. And Paul's like, why would you do that? Why would you do that? Why become a slave to the law and go back when you've been set free by Christ? Okay, so now that I set up the picture, let's get into the Bible, okay? Let's get into what's happening in chapter 4 of Galatians. Um, and I want to 
we'll get there in just a second. Um, I, w- I want to kind of set up the scene of some of the things he's going to be talking about in this first part. I have three sections in my sermon this morning, okay? So one, two, three, and I'm going to use my time well, and we're going to get to lunch at 1230. Sound good? All right, who's buying? All right, cool, thank you. Um, so where are we going? No, I'm just kidding. That's like the Sunday conversation for a lot of you. What, are, are you hungry for it? Where, where are we going? Um, so this picture that he's going to start talking about, he's going to start talking about something that um, the Romans understood. Anybody that was under Roman rule, which was everybody at this point in history, understood how this worked, okay? Because he's going to talk about a Roman child, like a Roman boy, and, and how the whole process of, of growing to manhood uh, went, how that went in Roman culture. Because uh, a, a boy, a Roman boy, before he was a certain age, and especially in this day and age uh, with the Roman culture, if you're a child, you really have no rights. You're just like, you're there. And you, you can't, you really, yeah, your, your rights are completely removed. And unfortunately in that culture too, it was the same way with women. So women were like, you don't have rights, you don't have, you know, you can't inherit anything, you can't own anything. It is all ruled by the men in the culture. And so even a boy then, when he was a boy, he had no rights to anything. He was basically equal to, and we're going to read this in a moment, equal to the servants that were in the household. So those, those households, especially the wealthier ones, they would have, they would say slaves, those that would serve that family, and they would be a part of that family, but their job is to serve the family. A child was basically equal with the servants in the household and didn't have any rights until that young boy turned 15. When the child turned 15 now is when he became a man. Now, interesting with Roman culture, a boy could get married at 14. <laughs> but he doesn't become a man until he's 15. I don't know how that works. But So at 15, all of a sudden, boom, everything changes for him. Everything changes. Because his father, who in this scenario was probably wealthy, was probably a leader in the community, was honored and respected, um, he now, when he became an adult, and become a, became a man at 15, he now was able to ex, um, receive all the inheritance, all the power, all the authority that his father had. He is now an heir and can receive those things before he could not. Now, when we're reading this passage in a moment, you're going to see this picture because in this day and age, um, the value of having an heir, a son, then take over the lineage of the family and continue in that leadership and finances and inheritance, like that was of like the most important value. So you'd have these really wealthy religious leaders, but they may not have any sons of their own. Maybe they just continually had daughters and daughters and daughters, and now they had the question, who do I leave this to? And so they would actually go and they would adopt a son from another family. This is where the adoption in Rome, in, in Roman culture, came about because these wealthy leaders like I have to leave my inheritance to somebody and to some to my son and so they would go find typically a a less fortunate or a poorer family they would adopt a son and the thing when that son got adopted into that family he now was as if he was blood in that family it wasn't just paperwork like for him you are my son you now when you turn 15 you will become a man you'll have all the legal and relational rights to all of our, your inheritance. You will have all the rights of my position. When I pass away, you will sit in this position in the community, and it will continue to go. It's like the adoption wasn't just a formality. Like, for them, 
you are now like blood to me. So we see this imagery of adoption in this Roman culture that led to an inheritance. So we're going to read now, Paul is talking about this picture. He's talking about inheritance. He's talking about adoption. He's, he's talking about this picture, and he's using it as a metaphor for the law, the Old Testament covenant, and grace, the salvation that God has given us through Christ, and how that works for you and me, okay? All right, is everybody with me? Okay, um, so let's, let's get into it. Um, if you have your Bibles, you can read along in your Bibles. I'm, I'm reading from the NASB, the 2020 version, and uh, when we started this series, I talked about the different versions of the Bible, and whatever version you have, read the version you have, okay? Because uh, there's a kind of a spectrum of translations when we're talking about different versions of the Bible, and the NASB is more word-for-word translation from the original Greek and Hebrew, and, um, and so that's what I use when I, when I study and when I, when I preach. So here we go. This is Paul now talking. He says, Now I say, as long as the heir is a child, he does not differ Um, at all from a slave, although he is owner of everything, but he is under guardians and managers until the date set by the father. So this is the picture I was talking about. He's like, as long as the son is underage, even though he's going to inherit everything, he doesn't. He can't until the set time that that happens. So we too, when we were children, were held in uh, bondage under the elementary principles of the world. Now he's talking to us. saying just like that. You, when you were a child, spiritually, this is before you knew Christ, were held in bondage under the elementary principles of the world. What the heck does that mean, right? He uses this phrase um, in the book of Colossians, I believe it's chapter 2, and he goes deeper into what he means when he says this, because then he, he, he talks about it as in the rules and the laws created by man. So he's like, before you knew God, you were and you had to keep all the rules and the laws in the world. If you didn't, you were, raw, you were outside of the inheritance that God would have for you. Like, that's, that's, that's this imagery for us before we know Christ. We are under that elementary principle of the world. We're called to keep that law or else. But, oh, I'm glad there's a but there. But when the fullness of the time came, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law says, that was the old thing. The law, keeping all the laws, all that stuff. The way to get to God and try to stay with God. When the fullness of time came, man, I could do a whole sermon series on that one. I mean, we're talking prophecies all through the Old Testament that pointed towards Jesus becoming our Savior, the Messiah showing up on the scene. When all the fullness of time in history at that moment, when he showed up, when he came, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law. So he was a Jewish man, right? He was in the lineage of David. He was Abraham's seed. He was the one that was coming. So he was living under the law so that he might redeem those who were under the law. Oh, redeem is such a good word. The word redeem, this is my definition for redeem. My definition is to put back to original intent. To redeem something is to put it back to what was originally intended for that thing. And God had and still has an original intent for you and for me that God wants to redeem you, to put you back in relationship with him. He wants to redeem us back what he dreamed of in the Garden of Eden. What was in the garden? No sin, no sorrow, no death, no brokenness. It was perfect relationship with God with no hindrances. As he walked with Adam and Eve in the garden and they walked with each other in perfect unity. 
That's the redemption God wants for us. He wants to put us back to original intent, to a relationship with him and relationships with each other that look like heaven. One day we will be eternally put back to that place. Woo! Can I get an amen? I mean, we look forward to that day. So he might redeem those who are under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons and daughters. Because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying out, Abba, Father. This is that imagery that he's saying. At one point, we were like those who were under the law, had to obey the rules until Christ came in the fullness of time, redeemed us back to the original intent, relationship with God and each other, in in holiness and perfect perfection of what he designed that for to be. And then he adopted us as sons and daughters. This is like the Roman adoption, y'all. This is like, you're not a step son or daughter. You're not like, kind of like my son or daughter. Like, he's like, you are full blood inherited son and daughter of the king of heaven. You've been accepted and adopted by God himself. And because of your sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts. This is that image. Maybe you've heard pastors say, Ooh, you know, accept Christ into your heart. Like that's kind of where that imagery comes from. Like he enters into you. God himself, Christ and the Holy Spirit enters into you to start to mold you and change you and help you grow because you've been sealed by the sign of adoption. That's the Holy Spirit. You are a part of the family. And now you get to cry out, Abba, Father. This word Abba, it's not the band from the 70s, okay? This word right here, translated, literally is like, Daddy, Daddy, Daddy. This is what young kids will be crying out when they're running home. Daddy, Daddy, Daddy. We have been adopted as sons and daughters, and we get to come to God with that childlike faith of Daddy, Daddy, Daddy. And he grabs us and puts us on his lap and says, Oh, my child, I love you. I'm so pleased with you. You have no idea how much I love you. I sent my son to die for you so you could be with me. Therefore, you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. However, at that time, when you did not know God, you were slaves to those which by nature are not gods. See, that's where you were before. You were by nature a slave. What, is, what does a slave do? A slave does the work. Saying, according to that, you are under the law and a slave to the law. You had to do the work of the law over and over and over and over and over and over again. You are no longer a slave or servant in the household of God. You are a son or a daughter, inheritance of heaven with God, saying, Abba, Father, Daddy. But now that you have come to know God, or rather to be known by God. Woo! This is good, y'all. Okay, there's a difference here that you have come to know God. Now, here's the thing. Knowing God is a good thing, right? Like to know God. A lot of us know God or we know about God. Like that's great. Let's say, um, name a famous person, just a famous person. Who? Elvis is dead. All right, so somebody who's alive. I should have put, I should have put a, a, 
I didn't hear anybody. Uh, let's do Matthew McConaughey. All right, so somebody said that last gathering, okay? So Matthew McConaughey, you know who him? He's a famous actor, all right? You know, he's the, the balloon guy in the latest commercial. Um, so like, and he's a Christ follower, which is pretty cool. Um, so imagine like if I told you, I know Matthew McConaughey. You know, I met him in the airport once, just had a conversation. And, and so I know him because I, I met him once. That'd be pretty cool, right? Like, well, that's a pretty cool story. See, that's me knowing him. It's a, it'd be a completely different story if I said, yeah, oh yeah, and he called me last week and, and, we, and he wanted to know how I was doing and how things were going and, and just to see how our family's doing. Now that's a completely different conversation. There's a difference be, between knowing somebody and being known by somebody. When we are adopted as sons and daughters, we get to know God and we are known by God. He knows you. He knows everything about you. He knows the awesome good thing you did last week, and he knows the stupidest thing you did the week before that. And yet he loves you, and he invites you. It's says, son, daughter, man, I love you. We know God more importantly, this is, or rather to be known by God. If you know God and are known by this God, how is it that you turn back again to the weak and worthless elementary principles to which you want to be enslaved all over again? He repeats it. Why would you go back to the law and the rules and the, ah, I got to keep this so I stay with God. Do you love me? Do you love me today? Do you love me today? I did pretty good today. He's like, why would you go back to that? He loves you. You don't have to prove it. You meticulously observe days and months and seasons and years. I fear for you. And this is where he gets really personal at the end of this part. I fear for you that perhaps I have labored over you in vain. Paul's talking to the Galatian church. It's like, I fear that when I came and preached the gospel and the church was started there and you guys started meeting and worshiping together and the Holy Spirit started doing miraculous things in your, I feel like that's all in vain now because you're just going right back to slavery. Ah, why? Why would we want to do that? This is what I want you to write down and for us to understand from this first part. You are not a slave. You are not a slave. You don't have to be a slave to the rules and the legalism. You are a child of God with the full inheritance of heaven. You were adopted by God himself, the heavenly father, and he said, now you're mine and you're over 15. You get the full inheritance. <laughs> like, you are now a spiritual adult in my presence. You, you've grown and you've been saved and now you have the full inheritance of heaven and everything in heaven into your life. You have all of that in the presence of God. So why go back to slavery, right? That's what Paul's saying. And yet so often, what do we do? We tiptoe back to the rules because rules are easy. Relationships are hard. But that's what God wants. He wants a relationship with you. Now, some of you are like, but Tim, I don't, this, I mean, like, if you grow up really legalistic, as I'm preaching this, you're probably like, I don't know about this, this sounds wrong. It's okay. Don't run away. Let God wrestle with the tension in your own heart as he wants to lovingly relate with you where you are and free you from the bondage of legalism to help you live into the full inheritance that you have already received. 
You get to know God, and more importantly, you are known by God. Okay, section one. Everybody good? I got six minutes to do about 20 minutes worth. Here we go. This second part, this second section is a little bit faster, okay? This next, next part of his passages. So, so Paul keeps going, okay? And now he's getting very personal in this part. And this is a warning. This is a warning for all of us, this section of, of chapter 4, okay? Because then he's saying to them, he says, I beg of you, brothers and sisters, become as I am, for I also have become as you are. You have done me no wrong, but you know that it was because of a bodily illness that I preached the gospel to you in the first time. And so I, we don't know exactly what was going on, but like when Paul went to this region, he wasn't physically well. He was sick or something. And we're going to read what they did for him. He said, and you did not despise that which was a trial to you in my bodily condition, nor express contempt, but you received me as an angel of God, as Christ Jesus himself. He's like, man, when I showed up, I wasn't doing well. I was physically not healthy. You guys didn't consider it a burden. You loved me. I mean, as to the point of like, this is an angel. This, you're a messenger from God for us. He's like, wow. And he says, where then is it is that sense of blessing you had? Where did that go? For I testify about you that, if possible, you would have torn out your eyes and given them to me. Whoa, that's a little graphic there, Paul. Like, like I don't know if he was having, he needed to go to the optometrist or something. I don't know what his problem was, but it sounds like he's having eye issues, you know? It's like, and they would have been willing to do that. So have I become your enemy by telling you the truth? You loved me once and now you don't like me. They eagerly seek you out. Who eagerly seeks them out? The Judaizers the ones that are coming with the law and all that, they eagerly seek you, not in, com- not in a commendable way, but they want to shut you out so that you will seek them. It's like they want to push you out of the gospel so you have to go to them to be right with God. He's saying they're trying to be more important than Christ in your life. But it is good always to be eagerly sought in a commendable way, and not only when I am present with you, my children, I love how he says it, my children, my children, with whom, um, with whom am I again in labor until Christ formed you, formed in you, but I could wish to be present with you now and to change my tone of voice, for I am at loss about you. I mean, he just gets really personal with them. He's like, guys, you loved me when I came the first time, and now I'm telling you, stop going to the these laws and religion stuff like and now you're mad at me i wish i could change my tone of voice but he gives him a warning in the middle of this okay and here's the warning for all of us we need to be careful who we listen to we need to be careful who we allow as spiritual leaders over our lives because he's saying these judaizers came in and they sounded good their words sounded they made sense and uh and you guys just followed them but in reality their intentions were wrong they weren't pulling you closer to Christ. They're pulling you farther away from Christ. He said those who want to bring that in a commendable way are going to be there to give something for you, not to try to get something from you. And so that's my point on this section as he's making this argument. He says, we need to learn from those who want something for you, but watch out for those who want something from you. If, if you are somebody who loves to Google YouTube and listen to sermons or videos and like Bible passages, you just have to be so daggum careful. There are a lot of heretics out there that sound good. Like when you listen, you're like, oh, ooh, ooh, I, I like the way that sounds. And they're completely off base. They actually want something from you. 
they want you to subscribe and click like because they're making money off their YouTube channel. It's a real thing. Right? If you watch TV and Christian television and you hear the words, to sow a seed into my ministry and you'll be blessed, I'm like, bull crap. You'll be blessed, not me. You're taking my seed, right? Like, they're wanting something from you. Be careful from those spiritually that are giving you a word and really, they're actually trying to get something from you. Either they're trying to get self-gratification by be proving themselves right. See, I, what I believe is right. You need to be like me. And when you come to their side, they're like, ha-ha, notch on their belt. I got one. Why do you think uh, those certain denominations and religions come to your door knocking, trying to share something with you? So they can get closer to God into heaven. They don't care about you. You're a notch on their Bible. They're trying to get something from you so they get closer to God. Jehovah's Witnesses, Mormons, like you fill in the blank. There's all sorts of people out there that are telling you things that are, are not the gospel. And they're trying to get something from you. And we see so much of the New Testament, especially for spiritual leaders, we are told to watch out for the wolves. Our part of an elder and a pastor's job is to protect the flock from sheep or from wolves that would come in looking like sheep, but they're not. They have selfish intention. And that's what he's saying. You need to learn from those who want something for you. Not, and you have to watch out for those who want something from you. If you are listening to somebody and the things that they're telling you and talking to you are actually putting them in a higher position of control in your life, be careful. There are spiritual narcissists out there who prey on weaker Christians to try to control them and pull them to their side. Be careful. I would say, run away. And some of you have some people in your life like that. It's okay to create a boundary because I believe that is coming from the pit of hell. I think that's Satan's playground. He, he roams around the world looking like an angel of light. Satan himself does that. If there's somebody who's trying to control you, manipulate you, trying to get something out of you, or making you think about things, oh man, this is the last, how much time I got? All right, I'm going there. The last like three years have been pretty stupid. I'll just be honest with you. By how many Christians have gotten crazy and gone down all these conspiracy theory holes that have nothing to do with the gospel. And some of you have watched those videos and seen this passage, oh, you know, and they, they use them as like, the prophecy here says, and then the prophecy there, and then, and then if you, and this and this thing over there, and this is what it means, and this politician's gonna rise up, and then the end times, and da, da, da. And if, if all you're doing is listening to this stuff, and all of it, if it is continually producing more and more fear in you, run away. That is not a fear of the Lord. That is a fear that the enemy is trying to put in you to make you hide. Because if he gets you to hide and separate and, and, um, and run away, he's one. I know that the gospel that comes through Jesus Christ is the gospel of peace. It's the gospel that puts a firm foundation in your heart and soul that you will not be shaken when the liars show up. When people come and try to tell you other things to add to and make sure you stay in this box and this is my box and it's the right box and come to my box. If you don't, then you're going to hell. You don't belong. Say, I'd rather be in that hell than your hell. So I'm going to go with the hell that you think is hell, but actually it's the gospel. It's Jesus. I'd rather be forgiven for my sins. I'd rather have peace in my heart. 
I'd rather live with a confidence and assuredness that comes from the presence of Jesus and God and the Holy Spirit working in my life. If fear is the root of anything attached to anything religious, run the other way. Protect your hearts, your minds, your thoughts, and what you listen to because there's plenty of liars out there. Be careful because they're everywhere. Okay. Whoever that was for, I pray that you would heed that warning. Because Paul then continues to go on. And uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read this quickly because pro- if you read chapter 4 and you don't know Bible history, this part would have probably been like the I don't know what the heck he's talking about part. Like, what is this about? Because now he's going to go back like he did in chapter 3. And he's going to go back to the Old Testament. He's going to go back to Genesis. He's going to go back to Abraham. And for the Jews, they knew the stories of Abraham. They knew the story of Sarah. They knew the story of Hagar and of Ishmael and all these characters that he's going to bring up and re-talk about here, Paul. And, uh, and so for you, if you don't know that story, I'm going to tell it to you in just a minute. But let me read it first and then explain what the heck he's talking about because he's talking about the old covenant, the old law, and the gospel of Christ, okay? So let's just read it and we'll get into it, okay? So he continues, Tell me, you who want to be under law... Do you not listen to the law? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by the slave woman and one by the free woman. But the son by the slave woman was born according to the flesh, and the son by the free woman through the promise. Now remember the promise I talked about? That God picked Abram, changed his name to Abraham, made him some promises. And the promises were, I'm going to make your descendants as numerous as the stars. Listen, he was old. He's you know, 80-something, his wife was you know, really old, and they had no kids. So talk about a promise. You're going to have a lot of kids and inheritance and all this stuff. And he said, and all people will be saved through you, Abraham, through this promise. So here he is. Um, this is speaking allegorically, for these women are two covenants, one coming from Mount Sinai, given birth to the children who are to be the slaves. She is Hagar. Now this is Hagar, uh, now, this Hagar is Mount Sinai and Arabia, and the corresponds to the present Jerusalem, for she is enslaved with her children. But the Jerusalem above is free. She is our mother. For it is written, Rejoice, infertile one, you who do not give birth, break forth and shout, you who are not in labor, for the children of the desolate one are more numerous than those of the one who has a husband. And you, brothers and sisters, like Isaac, are children of a promise, but as is anybody confused yet? All right, twenty-nine. But as at that time the son who was born according to the flesh um, persecuted the one who was born according to the spirit, so it is even now. So he's talking about two kids that were born: one from a slave woman, which was Hagar; she was a servant of Sarah. One that was born of a promise, which was between Abraham and Sarah and God. One is the old covenant. One is the law and all the rules attached to it, and one is the promise, which is Christ, the salvation we have received through his sacrifice. But what does the scripture say? Drive out the slave woman and her son, for the son of the slave woman shall not be an heir with the son of the free woman. So then, brothers and sisters, we are not children of the slave woman, but of the free woman. Woo! Let me pray and we'll go home, all right? Right, right. There's a lot in there. It's like, what, is, what the heck is he talking about there? Like, if you don't know what's going on. So let me really quickly, really briefly share what was going on here. 
See, in the Old Testament, we're going back to Genesis uh, chapter 16 and Genesis chapter 21. So this is really at the beginning. So Abraham was given the promise that his descendants would be as numerous as the stars, yet he has not had any kids. So how's that going to happen with the promise? Okay. And so they waited a long time. So here's Sarah, who's barren, who can't have kids, who's getting older. Here's Abraham, who's getting older. And so they come up with a plan. And Sarah says, hey, why don't I give you my servant woman, Hagar, and why don't you marry her and sleep with her? And, and maybe she can give you a son, and we can start this process of this inheritance thing that God promised us. And so that's what they did. They came up with that agreement. And you're like, what is going on? All right, this is Old Testament times, y'all. So this is not saying, now go have many wives and all that kind of stuff. I, I'll stop there. Okay. Some of you can't even handle one wife. I mean, imagine multiples. Like, you know, like, so they do this thing, and then Hagar gets pregnant, has Ishmael, and Ishmael was born out of the flesh, meaning Ishmael was born out of their plan, not God's. And so Ishmael would have never been a part of the promise that God had. He was the son of the servant and would not inherit what was promised by blood. Does that make sense? So we're going back to this whole imagery again. And so he's using this illustration that, that Hagar and Ishmael represent the law, which was birthed out of flesh out of humanness, out of a plan outside of what God designed and desired. And that was the law and the Old Testament and the covenant and all that kind of stuff. He said, no, no, no. The promise was given to Abraham and Sarah that they would have a son and then the inheritance would go to that son. And so they waited and they waited longer and longer. 30 years they waited from the original promise until God showed back up to Abraham and said, you're going to have a son. And like at this point, he's 100 years old, right? And Sarah's 90 years. I mean, the plumbing is not working. I don't know what's going on. Like this is, this is going to be a miracle of God. Why? Because it had to be a miracle of God because it was God's promise. If it wasn't a miracle of God, it would have been of the flesh. It's not. It's of God. So the promise that God gave, he fulfilled, and then came along Isaac, Right? And then the lineage started. Isaac, and they had sons, you had Jacob, and then you have the 12 sons that spread out, and they become the 12 tri- tribes of Judah and Israel, and they become Israel, and then out of Israel comes David, and the line of David comes Jesus. There you really quick. That's how that works. So Jesus is from that lineage back to Abraham, back to the promise, back to Isaac, that one day the seed from you, Abraham, will bring salvation for everyone, which is us. The law in between was given by man and by God, but was a temporary placeholder until the promise was fulfilled in Christ. So he's saying, if you've been set free and you're no longer a slave, why would you go back to it? You are a person of the promise and the inheritance of the kingdom of heaven, just like Isaac, Abraham, Sarah. We have a pretty amazing faith lineage that we all belong to. And we are all recipients of the promise of God. The reality, our flesh, our humanness will never get us to God. Any attempt we try, we can only get there because of God and his son, Jesus Christ, paying our penalty on the cross in death, depositing his righteousness into our account and making us right before God forever and adopting us as sons and daughters. Last point, our attempts at salvation 
our man-made attempts will never accomplish Christ's redemption of our lives. We can never put back to God's original intent for our lives by ourselves. Only Christ can redeem us and put us back into relationship with the God that loves us. Now, next week, as we get into chapter 5, is when we learn how to actually live into that freedom. How do we live in, into the freedom that God gives us by grace? Because some of you are like, so that means I can keep sinning, right? Like, if you've already forgiven me, and I am adopted, and I am a son or daughter, that means, so I don't have to obey the law, and so now I can just live in freedom, and I can keep sinning, and he's got it covered. You ready for the controversial answer to that question? Yes, he'll keep forgiving you. He will. But our motivation changes in our relationship. Because we're not just trying to obey the law of the Father. We're trying to love the Father. And please Him and walk with Him. Next week we're going to learn how that works and what that freedom looks like that we've been given. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for your word. And we know when we preach and speak and read your word, it never returns void. It always does what it's purposed to do in our lives. Your Holy Spirit reveals things in our own lives. And I pray that this morning, your spirit, whether here, online, listening later, that your spirit is working alive and active and breaking things out of us that don't look like you and putting the things that look like you and and drawing us deeper into relationship with you. And today, God, I pray for those in this room that need to have a spiritual detox. They need to walk out of the legalism and the law. They need to stop trying to earn and prove themselves before you, that they just need to fully accept the adoption as a son or daughter. I pray that they would do it today. I pray for those in this room that don't know you yet, or maybe they thought they did, but they have not really received grace, have not really confessed the belief in their heart that you love them, that you sent your son for them, that today they would give their life to you. They would confess their faith and belief in Jesus Christ. And so be adopted into the family. Listen, if that's you today, I want you to do that today. I want you to confess that. We're saved by our faith We're not saved by words. We're not saved by works. We're saved by believing that Jesus is who he said he is, that God is who he said he is, and that God did what he said he did, that he sent his son to die on the cross for you. And so if you want to pray that to him, use your own words. I I always say there's no magic word of the preacher to get you anywhere. It's your own confession of faith. It's your own belief. It's your own desire to be with him. So you can say, God, please forgive me of my sins. I believe Jesus is your son, that he did die on the cross for me in my place. I believe, God, that he is the one that makes me right before you and that he is alive today in your presence. I give you my life. I want you in my life. The spirit of Christ in me. I want to be adopted. I want to be your son or daughter. So here I am. I'm yours. Help me walk with you today and tomorrow and the next day. And I just ask and pray this in faith, knowing that you're there and hearing me. Amen.
And God, for all of us, lead us in your presence this week. Let us walk into your presence and let us walk out of legalism. In Christ's name, everybody said amen. Amen. amen.